This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends in Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, in Malibu. Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Bob, and Jared, and it was created on the idea to treat addicts with compassion rather than control. I actually have a friend who just had their brother go to Aloe, and she said amazing things. Her brother is doing great One of the best things about aloe is the way they deal with detox. They make a heroin detox, a pill detox, an alcohol detox, any detox really as comfortable as possible, which is critical if you're going to treatment, as you know. They have amazing amenities, including sound bath meditation, fucking surfing, sweat lodge, you name it, they do it. They treat co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to California to get help, I strongly suggest going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by a new sponsor. Very exciting. YourSoberBuddy.com. SoberBuddy is a super cute, fluffy character that can walk you through recovery in a fun and easy-to-understand way. You sign up for Sober Buddy Mail for free, and you receive a daily email with little challenges and motivations and tips and resources. They have you enter in, like, what drug you're addicted to, how much time you might have clean, if you're on medicated-assisted treatment or not, and they kind of work with you where you are in recovery or addiction. It's super supportive. People love it. Over 6,000 people are using it. It's totally free. It seems like a really, really, really supportive and fun way to deal uh, with uh, different things in recovery. And as you get time, it gives you little challenges, and it's really what it says it is. It's a sober buddy. So if you want a sober buddy, you sign up at YourSoberBuddy.com. Follow us on Facebook or at Instagram at YourSoberBuddy. Check it out. It's free, and it seems great. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation. Through the Patreon account. And my father is thrilled. The Patreon account is bustling. So thank you to everybody who donates even a buck or two to help uh, make Dopey as good as possible. I do appreciate it. Look for exclusive Patreon content coming soon. I swear to God it's coming soon. Also, if you guys want to get socks or ski hats or the old flat build snapback, or any of our amazing Dopey Podcast stickers. You just Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. I'll make you a good deal. If you want any of our Dopey fashions, you go to DopeyPodcast.com, although that might be changing soon. Enough with the ads. Here is the fucking show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I am Dave, and uh, I am in my father's house. It is a very special day. It is my father's 76th birthday, and in honor of his birthday, I'm going to have him on the show in his own chair with his own mic. So happy birthday, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually sitting down, uh, which is amazing. It's not going to last long. You got to go closer to the mic, though. I am close to the mic. How how much closer? You got to go this close to the mic. 
that close. If you want to sound like you're not far away from the mic, you got to go that close. All right, thank you. All right, okay. I'm I'm here, and I want to thank everybody. Uh, there were a lot of very sweet messages that, that you sent me for my birthday. I, I I really appreciate it. And there were a couple of questions. One, no, the tattoos are not real. I don't have any <laughs> tattoos. That was my. What about one, the octopus on your back? There is no there's no octopus on my back. He's a banana head. What do you call it? Uh, it was my grand one of my granddaughter's birthday uh, parties, and that room is not my shoe closet. That was that was the place where the party was. That's why it looked bit. No, I don't have a shoe closet. Why are you fielding stupid joke questions that as was, they're real? That was Sam. He was question. trying to be funny. Oh, well, you think he thinks you have a gigantic shoe closet? I thought he did, yeah. This is not good <laughs> for the show, by the way. The only good part is that I think it's great, and, and it's scary, but it's great when we do a show the day it comes out. It rarely happens like that. Oh, yeah. So oh, it's your right. birthday today, Correct. and the show comes out tonight, and they messaged you today. Now, what's the other stupid joke you're going to comment on? I wasn't going to come out. What, what stupid joke I was thought, that? I thought you have another question oh, to answer. Oh, no, no, no. I was, no, this is more serious. This, I have more serious things to talk about. Yes. I hated that, what, that music you had at the end of the last episode? That, that's a fans, that's a band, a fan band. Why you put that down? That was, you think that it was, was fake? It was real. I didn't say it was fake. I thought it was terrible. You didn't like it? Oh, it was awful. All right. I what else didn't What else didn't you like on the last episode? Uh, no, I thought that that rabbi guy was terrific. I thought he was really good. You enjoyed Rabbi Asher G. I thought he was great. I thought Linda was terrific. You except, liked Linda, except this keto diet is seems to be ridiculous to me. I yeah. am I am thirteen days into the keto diet, and let's just talk for a second here. I showed up this morning, and what did I do? Tell, tell the dopey nation my, what a son you have. My beloved son actually made me a delicious breakfast, which is really, of course, he messed up the whole kitchen, but it was a delicious breakfast. Tell them what it was. It was a so, super keto breakfast. Tell them what we had. It was spinach, a spinach, egg, feta, omelet. Why do you say feta like that? How do you say feta? Feta. 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 I'm feta up with you. Oh, what do you call it? That's, that's not, <laughs> that's bad. not bad. Anyway, uh, it was really good. It was very delicious. And, and then, a little, little sautéed Canadian bacon, onions, and spinach, and he was very satisfied. I, it was very good. And then, and little then, Parmesan cheese in the eggs, too. And then I cleaned up the whole kitchen, and then all of a sudden he's making lunch and messing up the whole kitchen again. But the lunch was good, too. Tell them about the lunch. A uh, lamb burger. Lamb burgers with spinach, avocado, feta again, and... Uh, and what else? I think that's it. A little, little more Parmesan cheese. It was, it was excellent, excellent. But I don't see how this diet could be healthy. I don't understand that part. I don't know either. I, I don't. Do I look like some kind of scientist to you? Uh, absolutely not. But no. I think I've lost like, I want to say I've lost eight or nine pounds. No, that's really good. I guess, but I'll probably die of heart disease. Uh, that's the flip side. Why can't, <laughs> why can't you go back to moderation with the usual way of eating? It's like saying, why can't you do some drugs? Why can't yeah. you just smoke weed on so the this weekend? Is, this is why can't you just have a glass of wine with dinner? Yeah, I guess it's These the are the same. stupid questions you're always asking. Correct. All right, can we get to the uh, serious You got more stuff? stuff? Well, yeah, the some of the... Dopey stories on the, uh, you know, on the dopey Ooh, nation. Bef- before you even get to that, um, you want to hear something very interesting? Uh, Rabbi Asher G., do you remember at the end of the episode yesterday and I read that, e- or last week, and I read the email from the dude whose friend died? Not Ben really. and Nash. It was like... No, we can re- remind It him. doesn't matter. It's a very sad story, but it turns out they had stayed at Asher's halfway or rehab or sober living or whatever. Oh, Wow. Coincidence, huh? Maybe, maybe it's a coincidence, or maybe it was fate. 
<laughs> All right, what else you got? Well, you were on the uh, podcast with Harris Whittle's sister, right? Yes, I was on this week on Last Day Podcast. They did a whole special on Dopey, which was super cool. No, I thought it was really very, very good, and uh, and she was terrific. You were terrific also. And then all of a sudden, I remembered that when you interviewed her uh, about her Well, the her funny, book, thing, the funny yeah. thing, though, is that when she was on Dopey, uh, my dad calls me every week to tell me how much he didn't enjoy aspects of the show. I, and I, when Stephanie Whittles wax, true. it's true. I say positive things also. Right. When Stephanie Whittles wax was on Dopey, my dad said, "Why'd you give her a fucking infomercial when she was on the show?" I did it was not. The mo- it was use, the most. I didn't use the language like that, of course. He's like, "What are you? What and are you doing?" I was David? much more polite, and I didn't say that. And then he explained to me that it was like mutual that they were going to do it back and forth with each other. All right, why don't you continue? And then it worked out, and we got this beautiful episode on, about Dopey on uh, on the last day. Right. Although my dad did complain that they didn't say Dopey enough on no, it. That's true. They didn't say Dopey enough. They should have. But it was a very nice piece, and and we enjoyed uh, collaborating with the folks at Lemonada Media. That's, well, anyway, all right. So then the point that I'm trying to make. Why don't you make it? What are you What are you waiting for? Well, I guess I have to be. All right. Here's the point. Uh huh. It reminded me that when you and Chris were interviewing her... Stephanie Whittles Wax. Correct. Chris was incredibly rude to her, and I commented to you, what the heck is what is Chris doing there? And that should have been another reminder what something was wrong at that point. He was even... I mean, they had Chris kind of being a dick with her yeah. on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or no, he was being a dick about her with me. He was, like, mocking it. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, listen... I liked that whole episode. I even liked them showing uh, me and Chris kind of snide in the beginning because, like, it was real. I know, but I and thought, I don't know. We don't know for a fact that he was using then or not. Well, it was sure it was a different different personality shown then than it did in the prior broadcast. Chris had a thing where, as the night got longer, he, he got would tired. he would get tired. He would get aggravated. I after I I listened to that last day, and uh, and I cried during that show. Uh, with Todd and with Chris, um, and it made me listen to an, uh, a couple old episodes of Dopey, and uh, and one of my favorite old episodes of Dopey is uh, it's when Chris when we first bought the house and Chris went to record in the house, mm. and uh, it's bursting with life and energy and it feels good. I think it's one thirty one if you're interested. I think one thirty one and one thirty two are two of my favorite Dopey episodes. We're recording in the house. Yeah. Um, another huge thing. That happened uh, this week on the show is that we were voted the fucking number three greatest, or maybe number four. You say five? Five. We weren't number five. I think we were number three. Finish what you're saying because I have another comment. We were the third best podcast about psilocybin, about psychedelic mushrooms. Dad, have you ever had an experience on psychedelic mushrooms? Never. Have you ever considered licking a guarana frog? Never. A buffalo arrow frog? Never. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. I'd say no. Um, So you've never had, have you ever taken LSD? No. Smoked DMT? Never. Have you ever had a thought to do it? I took an aspirin every night, though. When you were... You know, you were born in what? What year were you born? 1944? Yeah. So in 1968, that makes you 24. Correct. And the psychedelic revolution is raging around you. I missed it. You were a square. <laughs> Absolutely. You never cons- You never turned on cream and dropped acid and smoked pot? No. What were you doing? Playing basketball. That's it? Pretty much. All right. 
Um, so what do you have to say about us being in the top five podcasts about mushrooms? Well, at first, you corrected me, but I, it was actually 2018. But what you're saying is they haven't come up with the 2019 results yet. So that's the must be the current current one, which is, I don't want to say, is that very impressive that you're number five? I think we were number three. And Joe Rogan, who has the number two podcast in the world, was number one. We have, we're not even charting. We're not even charging. We're, so we're a top five podcast. We're number three on it. And like the other three of the other men, nominees or awardees or something are within the top 200 podcasts of all time, so how which puts us, puts us in, as they say, rarefied air. No joke. Wow. Does this mean something to you now? It sure does. And yeah. the people at Magic Mush or whatever the fuck the website was <laughs> called, I want to thank you guys. And I want you to do another list. I, I, you know, in fact, yeah, it, number one. I, come on. Well, come on. If we're lucky, uh, my buddy, my friend Robbie is going to call in and tell his crazy mushroom story. But Robbie is notoriously irresponsible. He's also, where is he? New Washington, state of Washington. So who knows? Other, other news. So the keto is happening. I'm working like a dog. Last night, uh, a prominent uh, recovery personality texted me and asked me if I would have this uh, author on the show. And she said, I'm so famous. Okay. She said, I'm Ooh. so fucking famous. This woman, Anna David. Yeah. And, um, and I, was like, I was like, I'm so famous. I was in Pennsylvania yesterday shoveling coleslaw and potato salad all day. So I don't think famous people do that. Well, what does do she think, want you to do? She, doesn't want, she wants me to have somebody, one of her friends on the show, some oh, author. All right. Yeah, that's nice. Why, what are you worried about? I don't, I'm not worried about anything. I don't, I don't, who is Anna David? Do you know who she is? Anna David is an author. Uh, she is a, a businesswoman, an entrepreneur in recovery who's been on the show before. Nice. Very nice. Terrific. Well, but more importantly, coming up, we have a very, 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 very special interview with this woman, famous actress named Kristen Johnston oh, from yes. Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. And my dad was very excited because he's very attracted to this woman. Well, yeah, she's a 12 pretty lady, yeah. And there's a funny show. You guys should listen to Third Rock from the show. It's really funny. John Lithgow, and she's terrific. And I just got word that Robbie is going to come on the show after the Kristen Johnston interview. Excellent. So are you Good. very excited? Can I, uh, can I talk to Rob? I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> come on, Robbie. <laughs> Robbie wants to talk to me. Yeah, I bet he does. All right. Well, here's Kristen Johnston, and thank you, Dad. All right. Uh, be good, everybody out there. So often when I do an interview with somebody, I say how excited I am, but I'm actually mm-hmm. very, very excited this week because you're, you're, this is Kristen Johnston. This is Emmy Award winning, Third Rock from the Sun actress, fucking Ivana Humpelot in fucking <laughs> Austin Powers, Kristen Johnston. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally do it. Wow, really? That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Why, why are you so excited? We have a, well, we have a mutual friend, our friend Joe Shrank, and he talked about you a while back. So, and uh, I hear about you, I hear rumblings about your show a lot from all the people on social media. So, so I'm glad it finally worked out. That is so sweet, and I really, really like that. And I'm going to give you a compliment in return, okay? Okay. Um, I, I'm at my dad's house. I record the show at my father's apartment in Chelsea. And he's okay. and it's actually his birthday today, so happy birthday to my dad. Um, oh, happy birthday, Dad. And he asked who I was interviewing, and I said, oh, it's this actress. Her name is Kristen Johnston. And uh, he said, well, where would I know her from? And I said, well, did you ever see the show Third Rock from the Sun? And he said, I love that show. And, and then he said, she isn't the really tall one, is she? 
And I said, I think, yes, I think she is. And my dad, like, is in love with you. So I think, and my dad's a very handsome guy, and he's, like, in love with you. So, I mean, oh. it's a big compliment. Well, tell him thank you. I will. It's nice. You know, it's so funny to get to this era. Like, you know, I'm in my, I'm 52 now. And so I get, now I get, like, dad's fans, dad ah. fans. Like, it used to be, like, people my age. And now it's like my dad is in love with you. I get it all the time. It's cute, though. I love it. It's great. It's And also then sometimes I'm getting a little bit of the preteen crowd, which has always been kind of creepy. But, um... That's great. And I'm a whole new generation now is discovering Third Rock, which is cool. So, you know, I, I think I was totally on heroin when it was out. That was like my heroin <laughs> period. So I missed it. But I'm frankly, so was I. But well, yeah. Well, that's a great place to start. So mm-hmm. you are a um, and then that's the other thing I just wanted to get out of the way. I just read Kristen's book, Guts. The Endless Follies and Tiny Triumphs of a Giant Disaster. And, and it took me weeks to realize how the title really worked in the book. So uh-huh. I, I love uh-huh. that. And one of the things Kristen talks about, how tall are you? Six feet. Yeah, so you're not that tall. But she. Chris- no, but I was this height when I was 12. So it was, I mean, they thought I was like a giant. They really did. So it, I felt like a freak most of my life. Right, which is how a lot of us have felt. And that's why it's called mm-hmm. a giant disaster, right? Yes. I love that. Well, my dad, my mom was very tall, and my dad loves tall women. So when I said, she, he said she's the tall one, it was only complimentary. I don't want you to think like a tall, the tall <laughs> no, gal. I'm used to it. Don't worry. Don't worry. I wasn't offended at all. No, I mean, you know, I'm tall. That's part of, that's, that's, it's just part of who I am. Honestly, I never think about it and never really occurs to me unless I'm with someone super short. And then I'm like, oh my God, I have to bend down to talk to you. But usually I just ignore it. Right. Well, my dad's tall, so whatever. I'm not trying to set you up or anything. I'm not trying to make this weird. I think you might be. No, no, no. My dad turned 70, 76 today. You could do much better than my aging father. <laughs> All right. Um, but so you, you were just talking about uh, being high on Third Rock, which is a great place to start. What was that like? Well, you know, honestly, while we shot, I, you know, while we filmed, I was not high. But that is when I started my addiction. It was like, you know, after work, um, you know, it just started it started so slowly as you you know, as everybody listening knows, it's so insidious. It doesn't start usually overnight. You know, it's just one of those things that like, you know, you meet, you know, you meet your, your, your drug of choice, and then you sort of grapple with it for like five years before you become fully committed to it. So that was, you know, I met, met, uh, opiates on third rock for actually a legitimate reason. I, I was getting migraines and, you know, I'll never forget the first time they gave me a shot of morphine at the ER. And I literally was like, Oh, this is totally the answer. I can't believe I finally discovered the answer to life. And so that was that. And that, so, but for, for about five years after that, I just sort of, you know, try talk about in the book, like a, like it's dating, like a really like you know, like a bad boy, like a bad guy. Like, you know, you're just like, you try to break up with him. You're like, he's abusive. So you have a bad relationship. So you dump him for a couple of weeks and then you eventually like succumb. And so I really became like fully addicted. Probably it took me like 10 years to become, you know, a really bad junkie. But, um, but while I was on third rock is when I started to become a hot mess. So Totally. And you were and and from the book, from whatever I know about it, was that you uh, were a great alcoholic. You were a great drinker in high school. Were there intermediate drugs between alcohol and uh, needing opiates for your migraines in the third rock period? 
Not really. I mean, I've never really been into pot and like Coke didn't, I mean, I definitely did Coke later in my addiction, just sort of socially, but I, I really was just opiate. It was first alcohol and then it was opiates. Those were just a nicotine. I mean, let's not forget nicotine was part of it, but, um, my two worst addictions were alcohol and opiates. Right, right. Mine, mine. The other was... stuff I maybe tried and dabbled in, but never, never seriously. So when, when did you experience, like you had a migraine on the set of Third Rock and some doctor was like, what, what was that story exactly? Yeah, well, this was back, I mean, this was like 20 years ago. So it, it was so different back then. I mean, seriously, like, I can't believe how much our understanding of addiction has changed. I mean, back in the day, 20 years ago, like out here in LA, like every doctor would shove painkillers at you. Like no one really understood it was an issue at that time, really. And it just was, it was everywhere. So, I mean, I went, I mean, basically I think I had a migraine and then I got a shot at the ER and then like two weeks later I had another one. And so I went to a neurologist and then that sort of started that whole dance of like doctor shopping. I mean, for like a good 10 years, my addiction was fully funded by doctor shopping. Right. <laughs> just going to Detroit because literally each doctor would give so many. I mean, now it's so different and they're so it's so um, it's regulated by the government. But back then they would do like, you know, a prescription for 500 Vicodin. I mean, literally, <laughs> right, it's crazy. Right. So um, thank God things have changed. But back then it just was so easy to become an addict because things were so different. But um, yeah, so that's. I don't, I forgot even your no, question. No, I think that's a great, I no, it. I love it in the book because you describe basically the way a drug addict feels when they do an opiate versus the way a normal person yeah. feels. And I know for me, like I didn't have, I don't have the great excuse to say that like I uh, doctor shopped or anything like that. I just wound up like doing heroin a couple times until I loved it. And then like I would yeah. have to like get pills by default. But the similarity is that when as, when at last I could tolerate the throwing up and insanity of getting high on heroin, I felt exactly that same thing. Like, this is the answer to all of my problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just like the bottom similarity between all addicts if they're, if they're on yeah. pills or they're on heroin or they're on coke or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's why was, that's kind of one of the, the driving forces of writing guts because I grew up in a family like my mom does not understand addiction at all. Like she has, I think she's had one glass of wine in her life. Like she does not get it. And so, and I'm, I'm surrounded by people who don't understand it. I mean, either people are addicts or they have no understanding of addiction, or at least this is the way it used to be. So writing guts was really part of that. I wanted people who were not addicts to understand and relate to it and relate to addiction because everyone is addicted to something. Everyone. Right. It doesn't always have to be drugs. It can be work, women, you know, whatever it is, plastic surgery. I don't care. So I really wanted people to understand, look, you can look at Courtney Love and judge her and be like, oh, I'm so different than her. But the bottom line is you're not different than her. I mean, your addiction just manifests itself in a totally different way. So anyway, that was kind of why I really wanted to write the book so that my mom would finally understand what addiction really felt like. 
And did she? Like, how did it go with her? No, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, she still doesn't really understand it. I mean, she tries. It's really hard for her. You know, she's a different era. It's a different generation. And she really just honestly prefer, she would just rather no one ever talked about it. Like, you know, she just really would rather I'd kept my mouth shut. (laughs) And she's really supportive, like, of my acting career and uh, me as a person. And we're really close. But it Addiction is something she just refuses to try to understand. So I, I think that's funny. I've been doing this podcast um, for like four years, and uh, and my dad has been on it a lot. And my dad lived through you know my uh, partner Chris dying while we were mm-hmm. making the show, and another friend dying while we were making. Yeah, the show. I, I remember when that happened. I'm really sorry. I remember reading about that. It's just really bad. Yeah, yeah, but that's I mean that's the story of addiction. Yep. And yep. Um, and my dad though still says like can he fix that or you know like yeah. he, he just does yeah. not i mean and I'm, I'm making fun of my dad but i think you're yeah. right i think it's an addict mind has a has an understanding versus yeah. a normie or non-addict mind or whatever and even the addict mind i mean look it's even hard for me as someone who really understands and empathizes and is very up close and personal with addiction i have another loved another family member who is dying from it right now and i'm so angry at her and, you know, and I, st- I have this like, uh, you know, this part of myself that is so judgmental towards her and so pissed at her for not, you know, working harder or not. But the bottom line is it's so different for every person. You know, I mean, some people for whatever miracle happened, I figured it out or I got it. But that doesn't mean it's not willpower. It has nothing to do with that. Somehow the like the perfect storm happened where I was able to get it. And for my loved one, she can't, for whatever reason, she cannot do it. Or maybe she just can't no. yet. You know what I mean? Like I never thought I was exactly. going to Exactly. No, I've, no, totally. Totally. I'll never give up. It's just, it's so brutal. You know, being on both sides, like being a loved yeah. one of an addict and being an addict, I honestly don't know which is a greater hell. I really don't. It's so awful for both. Well, it's funny because neither of us, I mean, neither the addict nor the family member has any fucking control. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's nothing. Yeah. Any, and it's that, I mean, that's very, very frustrating. I bet you, I think it's equally frustrating because I can't imagine. Like It is. Because also, I mean, the loved one has to deal with that anger and the, it's, I mean, it's, and then, but the addict has to deal with that shame. And it's, it's really, it's, I really think, uh, you know, it's, I'm so glad now that there's such a great understanding and people are starting to really understand what addiction is and starting to, I mean, there's a lot less shame and a lot less stigma, but we have a really long way to go. I mean, we're still throwing people in jail because who are simply addicts and, you know, I mean, it's, it's still really, really difficult. Yeah. And it's also just way, way mysterious, which is the, I I find that to be the most frustrating part, just dealing with, with listeners who ask me yeah. questions or this or that. And it's like, dude, you can try this, but until you actually want to do it, it's nothing's going to work, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you remember that dance. I mean, I, I danced with getting sober. I mean, I can't believe the shit I tried to convince myself of and the negotiations I made with my addiction and the lies I would tell myself and other people so that I could keep my addiction alive. I mean, it's just, for me, it was, it literally came down to, I'm going to die. Like, 
any day. Totally. Now. So I and that, that that's the only way it would have happened for me, uh, which is terrible. I mean, it's such a frustrating disease because it's the only one of the only diseases, maybe dementia, but it's one of the only diseases where it turns the sufferer into a, an unbearable asshole. You right, know? Right, right. And so by the time you're ready to get sober, a lot of times you don't have any support group left. You have nothing really left to get sober for, which is just so brutal. Right. No, totally. That I mean, that, I never even think about that. And uh, I have a family member who suffers dementia and I, it's this, it's so sad because you struggle with with them, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and, and it's like it's easy mm-hmm. to lose focus on what the hell is happening. But I want to back up. I want to back up to your your glory third rock from the Sundays, and and <laughs> if you were using on the set, then what did that look like, and what did the cast? No, I, but that's what I was trying to say. I really didn't use on the set. It was more um, after work and weekends and stuff like that. Um, maybe the last year of the show, it started to bleed into the right. show itself a little bit for me, but I really did try to keep it separate. I was very highly functioning. Uh, so, but you know, honestly, everybody knows when you're, when you become an addiction, an addict, that is, it takes over your life. And so any joy, uh, happiness, fulfillment goes out the window. And so basically all I could really describe of that time is my whole life centered around my addiction. And so I don't really have that many great stories or anything other than just, um, you know, just the fact that I, 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 I sort of kept a lid on it enough so that by the time third rock ended, um, I still maintained somewhat of a, reputation of being a, a workable actress and you know what I mean? I yeah. Didn't totally you were, you were a quote, un, you were like the quote unquote functional addict. You functioned yes, exactly. and you Which used. Is, yeah. And, and it's a shame because it is way better to be a non-functioning addict because you crash and burn so much faster. I was, um, a, I was a non-functioning addict and I crash and right. burned over, but I, I just did it over and over again for 20 years. <laughs> so, like, yeah. you know, you try that's to get better. A, yeah. yeah. I so, didn't think of it that exactly. way. Yeah. That's pretty bad too. But I remember reading in guts, you talking about John Lithgow saying mm-hmm. that he was aware that you were facing these demons. So it must mm-hmm. have been it must have been on you even if you weren't fucking shooting morphine oh, yeah. in the bathroom. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I was so skinny and depressed. I mean, it it really is it really uh, I don't know which came first, the depression or the addiction or what said what, you know, I don't know, but they both go hand in hand and they were uh, god, I was it was a dark time. It was a really dark time. And it's the weirdest because of course, you know, it's a time when you're the most celebrated and everybody thinks your life is awesome and you know, you go home to this like horror show, you know, and you are just, I mean, that's the thing that I think that was hardest to me. And it's what I'm so love about being sober is not being a fraud anymore. Right. Cause that's what I felt like for so long. I was like, I am such a fraud. I'm such a hypocrite. And so getting sober and learning how to tell the truth to myself and to everybody around me, God, it's such a relief. I mean, it was so, it makes me so happy to be able to do it. So, um, I I really, I I really have embraced that. There's so many things in your book that I love. I mean, I want to jump ahead. I don't want to jump ahead, but when you talk about rigorous honesty and you say it's probably some snobs, uh, yachts name, they named their boat after (laughs) rigorous 
this, honestly. Well, it's, you know, I think the thing that's hard about AA for people who are 12-step meetings is, you know, the phrases and everything. They start to lose their meaning once you say shit five million times and by rote. So there are things like the actual, you know, the, the idea of rigorous honesty is, is fucking great and so brave. And if you really think about what it must take to be rigorously honest, but the phrase itself is so overused in those meetings that it just starts to lose its impact, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, this morning I, I work at a deli in Manhattan, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and I had to go into the deli to talk to my boss about something that's going on. And, uh, and I was worried that I wasn't going to get home to do this interview. And my friend uh-huh. was like, just tell him, tell him you've got to do an appointment for work. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. said, I said, I can't do that. I said, I can't, uh-huh. I, because rigorous honesty, yeah. you have to yeah. fucking tell the truth. And what I yeah. wound up saying, I didn't say, I'm going to go work on my podcast instead of work for you and interview yeah. Kristen Johnson. I said, I have an appointment. But that's still rigorous yeah. honesty, right? Yeah, of course, because what you would have done back in the day is you would have come up with some elaborate exactly. horseshit that you would have then had to like uh, talk about for the next month, and then it would have become this whole horrible thing you would have had to make up. And you know what I mean? My whole life was a lie. Like I, when I didn't even have to lie when I was using, I would lie. Like I would make up stories of like what I had to do that night as opposed to seeing a friend or whatever. And I mean, it's so elaborate. Elaborate and so full of shit that it just like it just starts to you know you wake up well I woke up in rehab and I literally no longer was able to tell the truth like I no longer <laughs> understood what it meant right. I was like what you know actually say what I'm doing today I mean who does that but once you start doing it, it it's really great it's much easier you know, it's so it's much easier so much just to easier. say what's going on. Um, one of my other favorite things in the book was in the very beginning, and uh, and I think you were in a you're basically talking about your pre theater ritual because you're a superstar of the stage and screen, but the theater <laughs> is where you come yeah. from. And you said that you take red lipstick and you write mm-hmm. on the mirror, "This is the main event." Yeah, and uh, and I was walking down the street um, when I heard you say that because I listened mm-hmm. to the book and you. Great, great narration. I totally recommend everybody listens to this book. And it made me realize that what that means is that every minute is that, right? I mean, that's how I felt in that moment. I was like, holy shit, I I better pay attention because this is the main (laughs) event. You know what I mean? It's true. I mean, it took me a long time. I no longer really have to do that anymore. But for a long time, even when I got sober, it was like I was always looking towards the next thing. Like, okay, I'd be at dinner with friends, but afterwards I had to do this. And then tomorrow I have to do this. So your brain is never present and sort of trying to train yourself so that like my life right now is about talking to you on your podcast. And that is it. That's all I can handle right now. I'm simply sitting here in my house talking to you. So that's all that matters. And in 10 minutes or half hour, whatever happens will happen. And I don't know, starting to, to learn how to do that has oh man it's so it's so cool it's so much better did you ever think of becoming like a self-help guru like a a russell brand type or anything yeah no no (laughs) i'm just kidding no i don't know i like i mean i'm so flawed and i'm still i'm still such a work in progress and 
I don't know. I'm definitely writing another book. So that's been taking a while. And I love, you know, I love acting and I'm on the show mom right now, which is about addiction and recovery. And I really love reaching people that way. So, you know, my life is pretty great. I don't really want to do self-help because also, um, I don't think we need any more, right? Well, I think it's a calling. You know what I mean? I was joking. I was just making fun of you. I didn't think, oh, you were, good. I didn't think you were going to do self-help. <laughs> well, I can't tell. Okay. No, but I think I, th- it shows how funny I am that you can't tell when I'm joking, but that's <laughs> well, okay. No, you're very dry, which is good. Right. Which is good. It's just over the phone. It's hard to, I it's know. Hard to tell. I know. Well, next time you're in New York, you got to come in in person. You better believe it. Definitely. But, but I mean, I think self-help and I don't, I like to mock Russell Brand because he's so hysterical and now he's so committed <laughs> to self-help, but it's a calling. Yeah. You know, I think somebody does yeah, it because yeah. they, they, they think sure. they're supposed to. And um, yeah. another thing about and, he, the, and you know what? He helps a lot of people. So Ron, totally. and, and I think he, he has a really cool take on, uh, on recovery. And I yeah. love that too. Yeah. I, I think he's brilliant. I just think it's Me funny too. that he's this fucking brilliant comedian who's now yeah. like a swami in front of a fucking white screen or whatever <laughs> with a turban. I know. I remember back when he was, you know, simply a sex addict, you know, yeah. he's hilarious, but yeah, I know, you know, he's, I, I follow him on Twitter and he's, he's, he's really interesting and I love his take on addiction. And I really think it's, I mean, I do this thing out here in LA. I don't know if you guys have it in New York. It's called refuge recovery. Have you ever heard of it? It's uh, like, yeah, Buddha, 12 yeah, steps. yeah. We had yeah. the dude, we had the dude, uh, uh, Levine on the show yes. in the very early oh, days. Good. Yes. Well, I love it. I think, I mean, as far as 12 steps go, I think it's a really great thing. You can Google it if, if anybody's interested, but it's sort of AA, but kind of Buddha style. Right. And um, I really love it. I think it's a cool way of looking at it and more, I think a little more modern <laughs> than than you know, the classics, right? Bill W. Take so you do you do refuge more than uh, you know AANA whatever. Yeah, you know at this point now I I really just I take newcomers to meetings and stuff, but I would I don't go to like I don't have a home group out here anymore. Um, but you know I, it's been a long time. So uh, but plus I do this show you know the sitcom Mom where it's really I mean it's very focused on a recovery, and it's weird because we have these meetings that we film, and I mean they really feel kind of real, and I know it's not really a that's meeting, so funny. But it's kind of feels like for me, it's a way to check in with my addiction every day. And I do it for my job, kind of like you do your podcast. So it's kind of another great way of staying sober. That's you know? so funny. When you're on mom, do you ever have to share in the meeting and then you feel shame from your character share? Does that ever happen? <laughs> yeah, of course. That's totally. so funny. Totally. Um, but it's also weird because I'm the only uh, cast member who's actually in recovery, right. weirdly. Um, so people are always asking me like, oh, at meetings, do you do, you know, and so I'm sort of like the, I'm like the AA person there. I'm like, right, well, we don't do this. And this would be weird to do that. <laughs> you should weird. you should charge an extra rate for being like the expert. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of the writers are, are, are in recovery, so they get it. But I'm just saying as the actors, they ask me all the AA questions. It's kind of funny. No, I think that's cool. I, I think it's like very interesting where because everybody, 
you know, like you said, everybody's addicted to something and so mm-hmm. many people are just addicted to drugs and alcohol that like yeah. that recovery in, in media, in TV, in wherever, in movies, mm-hmm. it's very natural and it's part mm-hmm. of our story. And I think it's cool when, when shows do it right. You know, and from what I understand, you guys do it right. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think we do. I mean, the great thing about it is it's um, I mean, look, it's not going to save. I mean, may save lives. I don't know. But what it what for me, what was so great about mom and why I loved it, even before I joined the cast is is it really shows you you can still like laugh in recovery because. Uh, When I was first thinking about going to AA or getting sober, I mean, I just pictured doom and gloom and like sitting in a church basement with a a bunch of like old men wanting to drink. And I, I was so depressed at the idea of it and sort of, and what mom does is it shows you, you know, you can still like have fun and be fucked up and have a great time and, and be sober. No, totally. Totally. When you first went to meetings and stuff and you were famous, What was that like? Was that terrible? Was that excruciating? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty bad. (laughs) It was pretty bad. I mean, that whole like anonymity thing kind of goes out the window and people would bring scripts and stuff to me. It was weird and uncomfortable, but I kept going. So, you know, that's what I say to people. I'm like, look, if I, you know, people are like, I'm too embarrassed to go. And I'm like, look, I'm, I went, everyone knows who the fuck I am. And I walked in there, you can go in there. So that kind of wakes people up. But um, for my understanding, now it's, it's so different now, though. It really is. I mean, it's such a now it's more it's just so much more acceptable and OK to be in recovery now. But it also must be a trip to be in early recovery and have people yes. know who you are. So you don't know yeah. that you're going to get any time. You don't know that yeah. you're going to actually get anywhere in recovery. And then yeah. you're the person who fucked up or whatever. Uh, yeah. Did you feel a lot of pressure in that situation? Yes. And you know who really saved my life is Joe Schrank. I mean, he... Uh, Joe Schrank. He just got a dopey tattoo. Got, he just got what? He got a dopey tattoo in, in remembrance oh. of Chris. God bless him. Oh, I know. I love Joe. Joe, you know, when I first got out of rehab all those years ago, they I said, is there anybody in New York that you guys like that you know, you could recommend. And they gave me Joe's number and seriously, he saved my life. He really did. I mean, we became really good friends and he just, you know, we went to meetings together and he's just a great guy. He really is. And, uh, and he really saved my life and we're really good friends to this day. Thank God. That's awesome. So he helped to take that kind of pressure off. Huge. Yeah. Cause he just would walk in you know, he's a giant and he, you know, he just made me feel less self-conscious about it and he's sort of so mellow and dry about everything right, right. that like i'd be like oh my god i'm gonna freak out and he'd be like whatever get a, get a hold of yourself yeah you, know? you sound like Joe. So <laughs> everything just sort of became i don't know he really really helped me that's- and also helped me kind of get over myself because i think that's part of it like too when you're like an actress and you're trying to get sober do you think it should be easier for you or there should be a different road you have to take like why the fuck is it so- like i'm an actress things should be easier for me you know and he would just be like shut up you idiot you know and you just have to do all the work you have to do the everybody's the same in addiction it really does it, it sort of makes everybody on the same even keel like we're all human Human hot messes. You no, know? totally. I, I think it's an amazing, it's an amazing spiritual piece of of the puzzle, and it's also mm-hmm. like built into the solution that like 
all of us are fucked and we and like and, yep. and, and, and we need to unfuck ourselves and, and we get and to I do think it. That's why a lot of times, you know, famous people can't really get the help they need because they go to the special place and they go to special meetings and everything's special. And the whole concept of recovery is, you know, humbling yourself. Right. You are powerless. You are all the same. You know, you put your pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. Totally. And I think for some people they can no longer grasp that so everything has to be like i have to go to an elite meeting and i have to go to the elite you know addiction place and i have to do this you know and you're like that's not gonna get you healthy dude it's right. just not gonna help you it's counterproductive it's counterproductive. it is yeah. and i think it keeps people sick so well i think i think that's a great point and then in in the book guts i was like why did she call it guts i'm reading i'm reading all about you in the hospital and it still mm-hmm. doesn't occur to me because because you you destroyed your oh, stomach really? with pills i'm like she's courageous why is it called guts and then finally it clicked in <laughs> that Kristen destroyed her stomach and she called the book guts because of it. that's how smart i am that's what that's what you're dealing well, with here no but actually it, it's you know it's kind of a dual meaning i mean it's like it takes a lot of guts to talk about addiction and admit of course what you admit but it also is about my guts literally exploding so so tell tell us about that like what happened there? Oh, well, I mean, you should read the book. I read the book. No, I know. I'm saying to your listeners. Yeah, listeners Um, should read the book. It's great. But but sort of the brief version is that I was, you know, a long-term opiate addict. And I was in London at the time doing a play on the West End. And we opened the show, and I was still maintaining my addiction uh, with many, many over-the-counter codeine pills. And I wasn't really – I didn't know what was happening, but unbeknownst to me, uh, I had a long-term ulcer. And basically, my – it ripped open the night after we opened. And I was pretty much awake and aware alone in my flat in London (laughs) when it happened. It was like 2 or 3 a.m., And what began that moment uh, was like my reckoning, you know, I mean, it was the most agony someone can suffer and still be alive, I think. And I had to somehow, you know, whatever, I'm not going to go into gory detail that I saved that for the book, but what began was my journey to sobriety. And it took a long time and a, a very, very dark few months in the hospital in London by myself and sort of, I, that's what the book is really about yeah. is, um, is the dark night of the soul. I call it, you know, the dark night that happens to all of us where we have this reckoning with ourselves. Yeah. And I think, um, when you come out of it, like, I think you did, I, if I remember this correctly, what you did is kind of similar to what a lot of us do where we think we have it under control and yeah. then we don't. And, uh, yeah. and you got back to work and then all of a sudden you're buying pills again. You know, while I was drinking, it was like that night. I mean, I was like, okay, I have to change my life, blah, blah, blah. And then I went out for drinks because that's all I understood. Like you do a play and you go out for drinks. That's what you do. Right. And so I went out and had a drink and I remember going home that night, uh, you know, and I was like, 90 pounds you know i just got out of the hospital i was dying i was literally dying and i was like i will not stop on my own like i'm not gonna grow out of it 
It's not going to like all of a sudden something else is going to take over for it. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter who I'm dating and it doesn't matter where I live. I am a drug addict, you know, Right. and nothing is going to stop it. Nothing unless I get some help. So that's what I did. And you went and you wound up going flying back to the States for that. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I love that. And I, I, I also love the epiphany you have, you know, yeah. in the in the bed and the fireworks are going off. And yeah. It's yeah. just it's just. Amazing. Yeah. Because I remember it occurring to me. Oh, my God. There are people in that crowd. There are people walking this earth who are not obsessed with drugs, who are not counting their pills, who are not thinking of where their next hits coming from. There are people who are simply watching fireworks or celebrating their birthday or having dinner with friends. And it had been so long since I had just had a simple moment that wasn't about my addiction that I realized that I was like, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. Totally. And, and as a pill addict, were you always getting them from doctors or did you have to cop from places too? Like, did you ever, I mean, yeah, mostly doctors. Um, as I said, when I was in London, it was over the counter. It was like, you know, 500 codeine pills or whatever. Right. It was crazy, but uh, it was mostly doctor shopping, um, and you know, and I would stop, I would stop for sometimes for like a month, two months here, you know, but, but it was mostly doctors. Yeah. Do you remember ever not being able to get what you needed and going into withdrawal? Oh God, yes. Oh my God. All the time. So what would you That's do? Like part how, of it. Did you have to ever have to get it off the street or go to someone you knew? Like what? No, us- I would figure out, like I'd go to the ER. I mean, look, I don't really want to share too much because I think it gets gives people ideas. They know. These like, people, they all know how to do it. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm just saying, no, I didn't go to the streets. Um, I think if things were as regulated as they are now, this is what really concerns me about how regulated uh, pain pills are now. I mean, opiates. Because I think it's creating just way more heroin addicts and, and, you know, get street drug addicts, uh, as opposed to grappling with the actual issue of addiction, they're just simply take, you know, they're taking the supply away, which is creating, anyway, that's a whole other show, but, um, but no, so I didn't, I've never shot heroin or done anything like that, but I sure, sure would have, right. I mean, you know, right. yeah. if I'd known where to go, I would probably would have. No. And I mean, and I think, there's a, a certain longevity to your using that worked because you were, you know, the doctor was the was yeah. the hookup, and, and it keeps. Yeah, you, it keep, and I mean, I had a lot of them. I had like twenty doctors. It was crazy. It's also the I denial. Can't even imagine how much I spent. Like I can't even think about it. <laughs> totally, but it also oh. lends to the denial that you talk about. Like because you're yeah. not in the street, you and you are this incredibly successful actress who mm-hmm. gets their drug of choice in a very like civilized way. You know, yeah. kind of like it makes. Yeah, it- I think that was part of it. I mean, I never really consciously thought that. I really was. Uh, Yeah, I I think that was probably part of it. I think a lot of pill addicts tell themselves that. They're like, well, it's prescribed, so it's fine. But I think for me, I mean, I knew I was taking too many and taking them the wrong way and not as directed. I was pretty aware that I was fucking up, but I didn't want to stop. No, no, I understand. I didn't want to stop forever. The other other thing that I loved in this book is like – you're like done with the show and you're not sure what you're going to do and you're at your agency and uh, and you're just talking because you're a great talker and someone's like, you should write a book. 
Yeah. And um and and they and you didn't have a writing sample, but she read an email of yours, and that was where the book was yeah. born. I love that. I totally I actually forgot about that. Yeah, that actually happened. Yeah, weird. And she said this is what the book should be about because it happened to be about my addiction. I never set out to write about my addiction. I really didn't. I was going to do like more of a David Sedaris, like, you know, funny stories about how I grew up. And all of a sudden, you know, I started, I was like, well, I'll tell a little bit about the addiction. And all of a sudden it just took off from there. So the whole book became that, focused on that. And how hard was it to write? Did it come out quick? Was it easy? It took, no, it was really hard. I mean, it was hard because I cared so much about it and I did it, you know, myself and I designed the cover and I, you know, put the whole thing together. And so it took, I don't know, like a year and a half, but it was, you know, a lot, like a lot of focus and a lot of effort went into it. I I loved it. I mean, I really had a great time doing it. I loved it too. It was a, it was a great it was oh, a great read for me. Great listen. I listened to it, so I got to hear you do an amazing array of accents from Midwest <laughs> to Cockney yeah. to London, and uh, I really enjoyed that. I, I, I mean, oh, thanks. And I, and I really be it's it's the audiobook is very much a performance. Did you feel like it you is. were doing like a play yes, kind totally. of thing? Yeah, I really did. And you know, we, we I actually developed a one woman show on it for a long time, but for whatever reason, it just never happened. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's it feels like a performance to me, and um, and it's great because because of where I was when the event happened, it did lend itself to all these different accents and different people from around the world and different doctors, and it was fun to do all those voices. They were great. It was, it's a really really fun Thanks. listen. It's a fun read. Um, I want to ask you because we do we do dopey stories on dopey. And I want to see if you can think of, I I wrote down in my notes, the worst thing you ever did, but that's probably not the way to approach this. Can you think of a funny drug story, a dopey story, if you will? Okay. I have a fun dopey story for you. Um, Okay. So this is one of the more embarrassing things that happened to me, even though probably to the listener, you guys won't care, but I remember, okay, back in the day, I remember going to the Golden Globes one year and I was already, I think pretty high. And then at, you're sitting at the table and they, they didn't feed you anything. It looks like they do, but they just give you wine, just bottle after bottle of wine. So I got plowed. Okay. And after the, the show, they take you into these separate rooms and they wanted to interview me for, I think it was E! News. And I'm standing there randomly with Jeremy Piven. And for whatever reason, they ask us to dance. And so I stand in front of the camera and I'm just sort of dancing, but they slow-mo it for the, for the show. <laughs> right. And it's basically me with the worst face, drunk face, totally slow-mo dancing, wasted girl. It was so embarrassing. So I remember that. That's one of my more embarrassing stories. Um, But, yeah, getting drunk and then being interviewed afterwards. Well, that's the thing. It's like the the audience is mostly – you know, not really famous actresses. The audience yeah. is just a bunch of drug addicts. Besides Johnny Depp, I think yeah. Johnny Depp listens. Um, besides him, everybody's <laughs> fucking just a, a normal fuck up, and we're lucky that we never were slow mode in our worst moments on the fucking <laughs> exactly. Golden Globes. That would have exactly. been, you know, yeah. It's, it's, That's what it was. It was like capturing a really embarrassing, vulnerable moment, but on camera, and then slowing it fucking down. It was awful. 
So uh, that was that sticks out. I mean, I'm sure I have five million more. I just can't think of them at the moment. Okay. Well, I love that. And um, I read on Wikipedia and on Google that you have lupus. Um, yeah. Is that difficult? I, I don't know if I shouldn't bring it up or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah. Um, it's in remission right now. That's which great. Is, thank God. But, um, yeah, like six years ago, uh, I just became unable to walk oh by my myself. God. It was horrible. And it was this really long, involved process. Um, but it found out that eventually, after all these doctors and stuff, that I found out I have lupus myelitis, which is where your immune system attacks your spinal cord. Okay. Anyway, so I did chemo and all this crap and IVIG and all these drugs, and I find, and I, now I'm in remission, so everything's great. But yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty bad for a while. So I've had, I probably should be dead like 30 times over. And, um, <laughs> well, I'm glad you're now not. Now I'm on all these. Uh, yeah, no, and I didn't relapse, thank God. But I'm on these um, steroids and stuff, so it makes you gain weight and kind of feel weird. But I'd rather be that than in a wheelchair. So totally. Did you see any parables or? Comparisons between struggling with the lupus and being in addiction or getting getting into remission and being in recovery? Was there anything that was yeah. similar in your head? Yeah, well, I think I don't know about that, but I think one of the weirdest things was I probably went to like, I don't know, 18 doctors to try to get diagnosed. And every single doctor, almost every doctor left the room with their prescription pad left on their desk. <laughs> and I would say, and, and each doctor, right when I went in, I'd say, look, I have these symptoms, and I'm, but I'm a drug addict, so you can't ever prescribe me drugs, right. you know? So anyway, so I, even after I'd say that, and they whatever, leave the room or look away, they'd leave their pads on the their prescription pads, and I'd have to point out to all of them. I'm like, I just told you I'm a drug addict, and you have left your <laughs> prescription pad right. right in front of me, dude. I'm like, come on. So, like, I think it just sort of underscored for me how behind the times doctors are about addiction and how they really don't understand their part that they've played in this this horrible health epidemic. And they really need to take it a little more seriously. So I kind of yelled at a couple doctors. But, um, no, other than that, I mean, lupus, like, I wasn't even panicked going through it because I knew I survived addiction. And if you can survive addiction, you can survive anything. Totally. I really believe that. No, I believe that too. I think it's funny with the doctors leaving the pads. It's like, that's the biggest junkie fantasy in the world. And it's, yeah. ha- and it's happening and you're so deep in your recovery that you didn't, you didn't even consider it, or maybe you considered it. It's just like a joke in your head. Oh, look well, at that it pad. Was, it was offensive to me. Cause it was like, look, I've told you, I've warned you that I'm an addict. So why are you doing it? It would be like somebody just prescribing me Vicodin. I'm like, I just told you like, come on, man, help me out here. But you know, thinking of all the addicts and look, whatever's on a pad, I mean, 40 pieces, like that's, that's thousands of drugs you could prescribe for yourself. I yeah. Mean, yeah I'm it's just... so ridiculously, it's really ridiculous. So hopefully they take it a little more seriously now. Totally. Totally. I love that story. Uh, you were so, <laughs> so wonderful to have on the show. It was, oh, thanks. This was cool. I'm glad you had fun. You had fun, right? Yeah, totally. Well, good. I'm glad I got to talk about myself. Well, what's going on besides mom? What's coming up? What should what should the Dopey Nation know Uh, about? That's that's pretty much my main focus. And I'm uh, developing a TV show that I can't really talk about yet. But um, hopefully that'll be coming out on Netflix within a couple of years. So we'll see what happens. Super cool. Um, And you should do that one woman show. I think it would kill. 
Yeah, well, that might be kind of part of that in part of the TV show thing that we're pitching. So we'll see what happens. Right on, Kristen. Thank you so much for okay. coming on. Was, yeah, great talking to you. Say hi to New York for me. I will. I'll open the window okay. and I'll say hi to my dad for you, too. I'll tell him that you... <laughs> okay, do. Okay. Tell him happy birthday. All right, Kristen. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Sure. So that's a huge, huge celebrity guest, Kristen Johnston from Third Rock from the Sun. Are you impressed, Dad? Very impressed. Yeah, he was. she was good. Now, as I said, my old dear friend, Robbie, might call in with a crazy mushroom story. Robbie, are you there? I am, but kind of you're coming in and out, just so you know. But I'm here. That's good. You know, Have you ever seen Third Rock from the Sun? Yeah. The woman, Kristen Johnston, was just on, on this show with you. Oh, cool. She, yeah, she's very, very sweet. She was a delightful person to talk to. Hey, Rob, I'm here, too. Robbie. Oh, hi, Alan. Hey, happy birthday. Th- thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. I, look, Davey wants to get rid of me now, but ha- thank you. Thank you for the birthday wishes and, and uh, love to the whole family. Okay, Robs? Okay, I'll give him love. Robbie, I forget. When you were on the show last time, did you yell at everybody for not remembering that the Otter Order story was with you? Yes. No. Wait. I yelled because Jimmy stole my story. No, Jeremy stole your story, I thought. No, Jimmy stole my story and Jeremy stole my story. They both raped and pillaged your entire repertoire. It's terrible. It's terrible. I can't, like, I'm a brown man and everybody ganks my shit and then doesn't even give me credit for it. But I think Jimmy's a little bit crazy. So you think, think you think he's a little bit crazy? I think he's a lot a lot crazy. I love that guy, and I just want to say, uh, you know, to Jimmy right now, I love you, and I'm really I'm really sorry about your dad. Yeah, Jim's Jim's dad uh, died, so uh, Dopey Nation, if you guys know Jim, send uh, prayers and love to Jimmy. You don't like me saying send prayers. Who cares, Dad? Robbie prays. Most everybody, anybody who's anybody prays. You've, Anyway, you want to hear a funny racial story, Robbie? No, I don't. And why are you being a dick to your dad? He deserves it. (laughs) If anybody doesn't deserve it, it's your dad. Do you want to hear a funny racial story? You're going to love this story. Oh, God. Am I going to, am I going to, like, cringe? Is this going to be cringy? I hope not, but I think it's a funny story, so I want to tell you. Okay. So I'm, I cringe all the time about my own racialized stories, but go ahead. Okay. So me, me I'm at, I go to Jim's dad's funeral um, on Monday, and uh, and I'm standing there, and our friend Ricky, who happens to be black, uh, comes and meets me, and we're standing outside the uh, funeral home, kind of talking for a little while, and Ricky keeps wanting to go in, and I keep telling him to hang out. You know what I mean? Because um, I didn't want to go into the into the funeral yet. And, uh, and we're standing there, and this very old woman with uh, a walker wa- crotches up to Ricky and says, do you work here? Because <laughs> he was standing in front of the door, and he got so upset. Ugh. Terrible. Uh, I, I, I did cringe, but uh, I'm glad you told that story. Uh. Well, the thing is, but, but I'm a white man. I'm a white Jewish man in America. I've been in tons of restaurants and, and, and uh, stores where people ask me if I work there. But I've never experienced the life as a black man, so I understand Ricky's indignance and rage. Yeah, but here's the thing. Is like, if you happen to be standing outside of any random restaurant or like uh, maybe you were in a tuxedo at a freaking wedding and then somebody said, oh, hey – 
you know, can you get me an hors d'oeuvre? Or, hey, can you open up the door for me? That's just a dick move that people don't think about. So it's like, and then it's like, I have to deal with that shit. Wait, did Ricky, like, pop this guy? It was an old woman, and, and uh, she, she said, uh, do you work here? And I, and I quickly interceded, and I said, not yet he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> And then he got, and Ricky, Ricky is a renowned, you know, internationally renowned poet and writer. So I think, you know, it, it fuels his, uh, his, his uh, muse, if you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's the only way that you can, you can make great work is if uh, I abuse you. Yeah, from pain. <laughs> Art is born from pain. We all know that, right? Uh, I guess, I, you know, that's, that is a very strange and ironic thing that is true, and I don't know how to deal with it, because how, how then would you make, you know, how then do you not keep on replicating the pain? Exactly. Because yeah, maybe, I mean, I personally, I don't think that all great art comes from pain. I think great art can come from love, from humor. Listen, Robbie, say goodbye to my dad. He's got to get out of here. He's going to ruin the whole show. I love you, Alan. Goodbye. All right, Rob. Take care. All right. So, I mean, some art is born in love and comedy. And, and I'll also, I mean, pain makes the best comedy, I think. For me, it does. Yeah. Yeah. No, pain makes comedy. You know, but it, it's fascinating. I don't. Yeah, you're right. It's it, it struggle. Struggle and beauty. Like, deep appreciation of beauty makes, makes great art. So I don't think it has to come from pain, but there's some strange tension that, um, folks look for even in their day-to-day lives to to strive towards i don't know i don't know do you think wait and this is a random question do you think that attaches itself to addiction in any way well i mean lots of addicts make great art and lots of addicts are in a lot of pain so i mean i i don't think it's you know the the connection is not a linear connection it is uh it's one of those things and I think, um, like, De- our friend Devin had to get the top knuckle of his pinky chopped off, right? Fucking, and it looks crazy. So he's missing the top of his pinky, and I'm convinced this will help his writing. It'll give him some uh, character. It's good. Pain is good. It's good. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to lose my fucking top of my pinky, but this is good for him. His life was too good. This is God letting us know. Devin. Of the nine fingers. Exactly. Now, if you don't know this, Robbie, uh, this week was very exciting for Dopey. We, we were featured on this other podcast, but more importantly, we were in the top five podcasts about psychedelic mushrooms, um, which is a huge honor to me. Fuck. Love mushrooms. I'm actually outside right now looking at a beautiful green lawn in the Seattle range. And I'm sure there are magic mushrooms and actually just regular mushrooms. I love mushrooms in general. I don't know if you know this, but Tita Daisy, my, my aunt, Tita Daisy, she would always take us to look for mushrooms. She was a, an amateur mycologist. So really, I love mushrooms, and I'm very happy for your um, celebration in that, uh, in, in that mushroom thing. I, I Who would have? Really who would have thought that I would have one of the top five podcasts about mushrooms? But the, the thing is that when I read this, the only thing I was like, we got to hit him with a mushroom story. And like, I don't know, for my money, like one of my all time favorite mushroom stories is our classic 
mushroom story. So I wanted to have you back on the show. I wish you were in town, but you're not in town. But how often do we get such an award? We need to celebrate. So would you hit the Dopey Nation with the great mushroom adventure story? All right, well, the great mushroom adventure begins at the table uh, that you are at right now uh, in Alan and Nancy's dining room table, actually their kitchen table. Uh, there was a whole bunch of guys. It was uh, Roland and Alan and uh, myself, yourself. Uh, who else is there? Ryan, uh, my, my, my roommate Ryan. from college who also has a, conspir- who has a rock and roll podcast. He came on Dopey recently. My friend Ryan was there. I love that guy. Um, I eventually tried to kiss him in this story. Um, he's a good guy. Yeah, he he endured a lot. He endured a lot in this story. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, there we were at the table, and I remember we had a little um, roll-up baggies of mushrooms. I think that, I don't think that they were Liberty Caps, but they uh, they unrolled really like that crinkly way, and we took them out. And I don't mind the taste of mushrooms, but people were making all these faces as they, you know, chomped down an entire eighth. Now, I didn't know that you might want to reduce, you know, like the amount as, as to your, you know, your um, psychedelic adventure, you know, uh, prowess, but we all just ate an entire eighth at the table. And, you know, we were kind of chill. We said, okay, let's just take a walk. And we wanted to go to, to Central Park because the park is the best place to go when you're tripping, or so they said. I hadn't done, I don't think I'd ever done mushrooms at this point. I don't think so. so I don't think so. And I'm, you know, like me, I am a very, I'm very, you know, touched by the psychedelia. Weed is, is psychedelia to me. Like, weed opens up like portals in my brain. So I ended up, uh, you know, putting on, you know, my stuff, and we, we kind of just ambled downstairs, and we were giddy, and we had that kind of feeling when you get that uh, look towards an illicit drug, you know, of any kind, you kind of, your, your heartbeat goes up a little bit, and it's kind of fun, but it's really also kind of scary and illicit. It doesn't feel like this is like, feels like, ooh, you're doing something, and we were just walking. And so 59th Street is where the park is, and Davy's house is, is on 28th Street and 8th Avenue, and we were just going to walk the whole way. And we start walking, and uh, things start to blur. Things start to, like, get soft around the edges, kind of like when you're looking through a windshield and the rain is falling and things kind of get all um, soft. And then I knew it was starting to kick in. And I just remember people blurring, and I remember this Latina girl, who she, she, she's like, she's got her, her, her hood pulled up like a, like, a, like a monk's cowl, and she growled, ooh, he's cute. And I was like, whoa, I don't like the feeling of this anymore. <laughs> we were starting to cross all these streets, and the numbered streets, and I've been reading, um, I've been reading Dante's Inferno, and I was thinking about like the, all the different cantos in Dante's Inferno. And it was like, you know, the canto, I don't know. It was just like we were going to the center, to the center of things. And I don't think it was the center of hell just yet, 
but it was it was kind of strange. So we entered, we crossed the thresholds into the park, and I started to sweat, and it was like everyone was really feeling kind of weird. And we sit down on a rock, okay, and and suddenly, and then the world starts to calm a little bit, and it starts to. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's all that? What's all that clicking shit? Yeah. What's all that clicking shit? What? What's all that clicking noise? What is that? That's rain on my roof. I'm in the car, remember? And, and it's, it's raining. raining. All right, continue. So we're on the rock. Never. The mushrooms are hitting us. I remember this. I, I was tripping out, and, uh, and the five of us were sitting on this rock in the middle of Central Park on a, on a sunny, you know, weekend day or something. Yeah. It was, you know, we had enough time. I don't know why, you know, like, I just, I don't know why everybody wasn't as deep in this trip, you know, because I was out there. We sit on this rock, and I'm like, and I, this mantra starts coming into my head that starts trying to explain the world. And, and this is what happens to me when I start to trip or start to get in, deep into psychedelia. This narrative comes into me, and it tries to explain to me what the hell is going on around me and tries to tell the story of what's happening. So I just start thinking, we're dumb monkeys sitting on a rock, dumb monkeys sitting on a rock, dumb monkeys hurtling through outer space, sitting on a rock, sitting on a rock, dumb monkeys, dumb monkeys. And... And that kind of made me, I was like, oh, God, oh, wow. This, this, this kind of calmed me down. But then this guy pops up out of nowhere, and he looks at us, and I was like, oh, man, man. This, guy, this dude looking at us, he thinks we're gay. He thinks we're gay. We're all fucking gay. <laughs> oh, no. And then we started, you know, I started, like, getting itchy in my skin and, like, trying to get out of there. And like, okay, all right, fine. It's cool. We walk. Everybody's walking. We're walking. We're walking. And then we stop, and we sit on these, this pair of bleachers overlooking this big field in the park. And then the next thing I know is that Roland is puking his guts out. And he's, you know, like, he's licking, licking out over the field, and he's licking his lips, and they're sticky and purple. And um, he, he settles down, and, and we kind of chill out for just another moment. But I look at Alan, and then... Suddenly, he had the head of a jackal, and he looked like Anubis. And he's looking out uh, on the skyline, and he's kind of like this statue, and looking out at the skyline of Manhattan. And I couldn't figure out what was real or what was not. I, I really just I couldn't I couldn't tell. Things were so blurry and morphing and story-like. And then I. Uh, move towards this tree because I see this kid. I see this kid crouched, crouched like a, you know, like on all fours. Um, and I say, hey, we gotta help that kid. We gotta help that kid. And I go, go up to it, and then I look, and then it, it's like this little wizened uh, leather bag full of bocce balls. <laughs> like, oh God, this is. What's going How on? How do you remember all this stuff? I don't remember any of this. So, so then what happened? Uh, so then, you know, like we're so uh, I was trying to I was trying to figure out like what the fuck was going on, and and then I started to realize, oh, that's why we were in the field. We were trying to figure everything out. And so I looked towards the skyline, and then I noticed there's all this construction, and I noticed, oh, that's what's happening. Oh, this is this is how. This is the way the city was constructed. It was constructed by lizards, lizard people, like 
Like, and uh, they were chuckawallas. That's that's the name of the lizard that they were. But they were kind of chuckawallas and geckos, and then, but they were different kinds. And there, there were some that were really dark. They're like dark ones, and they stuck those lizards on the outside, and they could stick to the outside of buildings, and they would climb around the outside of buildings. And the reason why they got darker is they were working. Uh, the working to build the actual buildings, and the lighter lizards were on the inside. They were on the inside, you see. And that's why they were lighter in color. And they put the ones, the darker lizards, to work on the outside. And this was all, and I figured it out. I was like, oh, shit, this is why. Do you think, do you think the lighter lizards made the darker lizards be doormen at the Jewish funeral homes, too? <laughs> I think so. I think this is exactly why. And in all in this effort to like get to God, right? Because we're building all these literal these towers in the sky right. to get closer to God. Right. We're all trying to get closer to God. And then I figured out, holy shit, they're all fucking wrong. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. What we need to do to get to God is to get into a place like the field in front of us. And what we would do is we'd all get into the field and then turn in the same direction at the same time in all of the cardinal directions. And then we would sing one single note. And that would bring the the kind of value and unity that God imparts. This is what hit you that day in the park at that moment? Yeah. I understood that if we all did the same thing at the same time, as individuals, but did it at the same time, we would achieve something like God. And Which is true, but was, continue. So, I mean, like, you know, but but we couldn't. And suddenly, um, I started to feel nervous, and I started to realize that, oh, man, like, I was also one of these lizards. And that it was it was just so... I don't know, the whole world was so threatening in this moment, and I, I couldn't figure it out. And so, you know, like, uh, we all moved, thank God. We just started moving, and we, we ended up sitting at a bench, okay? I and remember. We at a bench, I was there. And uh, I know, and, I was, and we just, like, try to, you guys were noticing that I was really agitated, like, super worked up, trying to, you know, talk and figure it out, but I couldn't really... It had been a long time since we'd been, like, this was college, and it had been a long time since we'd been really intimate friends, and our friendship had always, had never taken this kind of constellation, and it ended up being, like, like putting me nervous and, and ill at ease and thinking about race and thinking about how to fit God in, 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 into all of this or trying to figure out a big unified feeling bugged me out. I think, so, I think it was a huge, I think we had, we had eaten an ounce between the five of us. So we all ate a little bit yeah. more than an eighth, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. a lot of, that's a lot of psilocybin going through our brains. And like you said, when you even smoke weed, these psychedelic crazy places open up in your head. So your brain is fucking pulsating with over an eighth of mushrooms. And it just, I mean, you were like, we get drunk on those things. Like I remember I was high to my head on the mushrooms. I just, I remember like looking down at the rocks in the first place and just having open eye visuals and feeling like just seeing everything kind of wavy. I wasn't having this incredible sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, vision about the city and my place and race. Thank God. I mean, I was fortunate, but I did see you fucking losing it. 
you know? Yeah. And I, and I got worried. Yeah. You said, okay, let's just chill out. Let's smoke a cigarette. And then, like, I, I, I could not tell the difference between reality and non-reality. And so we were smoking a cigarette, and, like, I couldn't figure it out. And so I was like, I got an idea. I got an idea. I'll burn myself with cigarettes to test if I'm real. And so I started, I pulled out my shirt and then like, I started trying to burn myself <laughs> uh, like on my belly with a lid end of a cigarette. And you guys were like, yo, what are you doing? Hey, hey, chill. You know, like I, I didn't even know what you were saying, but you like tried to stop me from doing it. And then Ryan was sitting next to me and he like was looking at me like deep in, like deep in my eyes, like, like deep in my eyes and, and like, he 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 was like oh and then I was like oh my god maybe maybe Ryan wants to kiss me <laughs> maybe he did <laughs> maybe he did and then like and then he leaned in and I was like oh man maybe I should kiss him back and then like and I didn't know what to do and I, I like and I started grabbing his hand, like uh, his wrist and I like grabbed as hard as I could and then he said you're hurting me you're hurting me and like i couldn't and then i could not figure out what was what was happening and i i, I just saw his like the look of fear in ryan's eyes and so I, I i said i gotta get out of here and i just dropped everything and then i and this and then i said i gotta get out and i took i there was a pass um that led into the to the to the kind of undergrowth into the woods in central park and I took one way, and I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit. This, no, this has already been predetermined for me. Like, if I go down this path, I know what's going to happen. And then uh, I tried the other one, and then and I was like, oh, shit, shit. If I go down this path, I, it's already done. Like, I understand what's already going to happen if I do this thing. It's already done for me. So I can't make this choice to, like, get out of here. And I was trying to – and I didn't know what to do, and then – then you said, hey, hey, you, you said to me, like, hey, like, you know, like, don't leave the group. That, that's the one thing that we can't do. Like, we have to stay in connection. We got to be connection, connected. It's okay. Um, and, like, we, you know, like, I averted, like, a really major, you averted. Well, what about the part, what about the part where the Jamaican thing happened? Well, no, this is, it just, it happens after this. Oh, really? Okay, continue. Yeah, so it's like, you know, like, because I was about to run off, run off. And <laughs> be like a werewolf oh, no, on, at, on the, mushrooms in the park. Oh, it might have been, yeah, no, it might have been just before this. But at any rate, so, I, I like, there was a time loop and a predestination thing that I tried to, that I moved through, that I had to try to figure out. And then as we were, like, walking out of the park, we were walking out of the park. Suddenly, like we we say, okay, because this is in the early nineties. This is like ninety three, and everybody had started. It was ninety four or ninety three or ninety four, and everybody had started freestyling or trying to freestyle. And then, like, so Alan starts freestyling, and we are we're all trying to freestyle. And then, like, I don't know this. This is where like I was open to the psychedelic like like world, and. I, you know, this, you know, this identity like slipped into me. It like, it took me over and I felt my body turn into 
the body of an older Jamaican woman. And like my, my, my body began to move like that. And like, I started singing and sounding like that and trying to, trying to like relate to everybody around me like that. And people were like, and then because we were freestyling, then it would morph into a black man, an American black man. And like that identity would like move through me. And then, and then it just, I didn't, I, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily there. I was like the container that was holding all of these things. You were the vessel for these, uh, these moving personalities and, and identities. It was crazy though. When, the, when I, I remember just the woman hitting you and you were strutting around and, uh, and Ryan got so scared because I, I think you got angry at him in that moment. And, uh, and we were all trying to freestyle and we were all tripping and, uh, and I think you you were in that sort of how long do you remember being in that sort of situation where you you didn't really know who you were or you were shifting through identities? Uh, probably, I don't know. I, I mean, time. Who knows? Right. What What, what do you remember I, about I, it? I like, don't think there would have been any kind of way for me to tell time at that point. In fact, I was going through a time loop. Like, I there was a the during the predestination thing. There was a time loop. Like, I couldn't figure out time. I thought it kept happening again. Then happening again, happening again. I, like that, that wasn't time wasn't really necessarily a concept that I could understand. In that I mean, like in in linear time, it could have been twenty minutes. And then I mean, that's when I remember, like I was like, we got to get out of here because you got into some crazy <laughs> confrontation with Ryan. Like you scared yeah, him, right. and, and he was standing there, and you guys were like face to face, but it was not like you were about to kiss him. You were scaring him, and he didn't know what to do and i was like we got to get out of here so i grabbed you and we left um yeah and you and me went to a deli on like 65th street and broadway and i bought us like juice or something yeah and so we walked so we went there and like as soon as we crossed the threshold out of the park uh my like my demeanor changed and like I, I, I came to essentially, I, right. I left the world of psychedelia and I remember opening the deli case to the drinks. Yeah. Like there was this like wall of drinks and like, that's, I was like, Oh, Hey. And then you turned around and you were like, wow, you're back. And I was like, yeah. Uh, and I, I wasn't bright and shiny. Like, yeah, I'm, I was normal, but I was like, I was, re- I returned. Like I my identity returned to me. I wasn't a vessel anymore. Um, yeah. And then, but you, you turned to me and you said, Hey, do you know what just happened? And I don't know if I could have reported it in that way, but years later I wrote all of it down. Right, um, and that's how you have all these details because I don't remember exactly. any of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, because yeah, I just I remember, I remember it very, very clearly. Well, but it goes um, to show like the transporting uh, effects of mushrooms, and who knows if you're just bugging out, if there's con- if there's like actual consciousness floating around that floats into you, like who knows like how to quantify what really happens. But, uh, but I think that's like one of the great psychedelic traumatizing stories, uh, of my life. 
but uh, but it ended nicely. You know what I mean? We ended. Yeah. It was like it was so cool because we had weathered this storm, but we were always you know the same friends, and it made me feel great at the end of it because everything was like you know we had been out there, but we had been able to come home. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what you were saying about like don't go. Like the the one thing that you can't do is actually. It's it's like in Lord of the Rings. It's like you can't break the fellowship, you know. Like when you're there, you can't you can't break the fellowship because then, you know, like somebody can get really hurt. But also that like if you allow everyone to be together, then you can rebuild a narrative. So this moment in my life was one of the moments that create like that allowed me to deconstruct my the way that I see the world. So it caused me to really think about race in a different way, to think about sexuality in a different way, to think about the American system um, in a different way, like the endeavor that New York is when we're looking at the skyline, because it's just like, oh, wait, I understand, you know, the strange purpose of capitalism and building cities and like this weird kind of really like, you know, like, like misadventure that, but also like this beautiful thing. Cause it was beautiful. The skyline was beautiful. And so I understood so much of what went into it. And it I, you're right. I can't tell what was a narrative. So like, or what was me trying to impose my narrative and try to make sense of it. So it comes to this weird bunch of stories, but also like people talk about lizard people, you know, like, is this some kind of right, like right. Deep, deep thing that's like in humans or like, are there real lizard people? <laughs> like, are there like, you know, like, did I get possessed? Cause for a long time, Dave, you remember we were talking about like, I got fucking possessed, you know, or yeah. is it just that those are parts of my identity? Like being from New York, you know, like, we like absorb all the identities of the people around us. Like, was it my trying to figure out like me being, you know, me being a male and yet not being super masculine dude style and then having to then refigure myself as a woman. And, and because I'm, I'm not white, like then taking on blackness as the, as like the binary thing that's like, Oh, if I'm not white, I must be black. If I'm not, like a traditional dude, dude. I must be a woman or I must be gay or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think it's amazing. And also like the, like fear and loathing in Las Vegas, like he, he steps out on the floor tripping acid and everybody's lizards. You know, I think that's a, that's a part of a sort of psychedelic imagery that's built in. And I don't think anybody, I mean, I guess you could study it for eternity and figure out these telltale totems or whatever you want to call them. But uh, yeah. but I think it's it's I, I just sort of accept it all as part of the great psychedelic wash. And I think this story just illustrates why Dopey is one of the top five mushroom podcasts on the world. You know, <laughs> I just think that's what it's about, you know. Um, but but I love you and I really appreciate you telling this crazy uh, story of identity, race and psychedelia on the, the greatest addiction mushroom podcast in the world. Dopey. All right. Well, what do you think? Uh, I love you. I think it's great. Um, yeah. Let me know you guys, I, I, you know, talk, talk to Dave and, and let me know about like, yeah, how, what you think about 
psychedelia through Dave and, and the Dopey Nation because it's like uh, it was. This is such a memorable thing, and I I don't do it. I don't do it very often, and I I don't know that I would ever go back. But I do think it was an important um, thing for for me because it really taught me certain things, or maybe I taught myself, or maybe the universe did, or maybe those uh, you know like those beings that like flowed through me, my ancestors, or you know other lives that I've lived. They taught me, but I just would be curious to think about, you know, is it a you know, if it's not just a party, what is it for you guys? Well, it's certainly not a party. But, if, yeah, any thoughts on Robbie's insane mushroom story, write an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Any, any words for Robbie, uh, just pass them along, and I will pass them along as well. Um, what are you doing now, man? What are you going to do? Uh, I got to go to work. I'm parked in a park, and I'm overlooking the, the skyline of Seattle now. All right, just don't eat, eat don't eat mushrooms today. You got to go to work. You got to yeah. take care of the family, all that stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess that wasn't that funny. I apologize. Um. All right, Robs. I love you. Have a wonderful <laughs> day. Um. And thank all you right. for telling your story. Okay. Thanks for having me, Dave. All right. Talk to you soon, man. All right. Bye. Bye. So that was like my oldest friend, or one of my oldest friends, Robbie, with his crazy mushroom story. And uh, we're wrapping it up here on uh, the special 76th birthday episode of my father. And um, I'm just going to read an email, play a voicemail, and uh, maybe we'll have my dad read some reviews. Um, Here we go. Hey, Dave, longtime listener since 2017. First, I wanted to say how Chris and yourself felt like such perfect displays for the two of the two retarded wolves inside me, an attention deficit drunk Irish wolf and a neurotic curmudgeonly Jewish wolf. I'm both and all these things, and it was beautiful to hear them together. I'm a recovering addict, poorly recovering, and I thought I may have a story for many of those in the Dopey Nation. Towards the beginning of 2018, my use primarily cocaine, alcohol, and psychedelics with occasional dips into benzos and opioids added in had become unbearable. I was faced with the decision most of us come to. How am I going to get out of this pit? University, treatment, therapy. I chose to get married and join the army. Fast forward 18 months later, and I am working at a spooky government agency having to do with national security, nudge, nudge, with a top-secret clearance. This geographic from a very northern cold state to the prolific heroin capital of America, think the wire, had not cured me. I found a new passion, methamphetamine. This began a year-long battle with psychosis and the general havoc the substance causes on one's life. I have a couple stories as I, that I've managed to remember, but for the most part, I struggle to recall much of the past year. I recently had a lapse with alcohol, setting me back from 20 days to three. Somehow, my marriage is standing shakily. I managed to hide my addiction poorly from the army and my family. If you're interested in hearing about addiction from the perspective of Irish Jewish junkie 007, please reach out. My recovery is kicking my ass and I could use all the direction I could get. I th- P.S. I think I know one of the old school dopies from back home, the guy who talked about blacking out with a cigarette in his ass crack and falling asleep uh, in his pull-out freezer. I think we shot Coke together. Good guy. I think he stiffed me on my shot. Thank God. And that would be um, 
Hot Wheels that did that. So Hot Wheels, if you're listening, do you know this guy? Anyways, feel free to shoot me an email or something. I'll try to abstain from bothering your workplace when I'm in New York City. Find you read this on the air. On the air, say Kaddish for Chris Sr. So I love that. And also Robbie's fucking story fucked me up a little bit. It got me a little bit uh, psychedelicized. Um, but I appreciate that story. Uh, Hot Wheels, if you're listening, do you know this guy Sr. Jewish Irish junkie? I don't know. Maybe you know him. Um, hold on. It's a great tradition uh, for me to have my dad read reviews on the show. So um, you have your glasses, Dad? Yeah. All right, so come in, and why don't you read uh, some dopey reviews? Listen, Dopey Nation, go on iTunes, leave a review. It would be nice if it was positive, and it would be nice if it was five stars, but a review is a review. You know, what are you going to do? A review is a fucking review. And, Dad, are you still uh, are you still following the Dopey Review uh Reviews? Yeah, yeah. It, it increased. You're like nine out of ten mentions on uh, iTunes. You look at the weirdest. He looks at the weirdest lists. Nine out of ten mentions about drugs. You think they say about dopey? Yeah. All right. So listen to this one. Read this one. Uh, dude. Well, it's not dude. It's dude. Because oh. there's five U's in dude. All right. Uh, five stars. I had to Vulcan. Oh yeah, this is this is one of the real good ones. Uh, I had to skip episode twenty two because of Dave chewing with his mouth open and talking with food in his mouth. You say Chris burps are gross, dude. Come on, yeah. This this guy uh, has hit hit it on the nose, uh, but that's a long time ago. Long yeah, that time was ago. very. I remember that was there a was long a, time. Ago. There was a lot of painful uh, mesophonic. Emails. Oh at yeah, the there time. was a guy complaining about that mesophonic stuff with uh, the fish tank and the sirens and the f- and the phone they, ringing. The problem with dopey growing is that all of these camp complaints just keep coming back to haunt me. Here, read the top one. Uh, the only podcast that matters. Five stars. I started listening to Dopey less than a year ago. I binged most of it, and have to say that my previous favorite podcasts have been taken a back seat. Thank you, Dave, for carrying on with the podcast. I do not know what I would do without it. Wow. Amazing stuff, right? Yeah. Did you hear Robbie's crazy uh, mushroom story? No, I didn't. I was thrown out of the room. I'm looking forward to you, uh, your opinion of that one. I'm sure it's pretty bad, I bet. Well, I just want to say that, um, oh, two things. Number one, Josh uh, arrived at Mountainside, the Dopey Scholarship Oh, really? Winner. He got there. <laughs> he he said, um, hold on, I'm going to read what he texted me because it's great. Uh, DK just texted me and asked me, does your dad have a tattoo? No, I told you that was phony. That was for the birthday party. But it's funny. So he says, um, here we go. He says, oh, this is not helping me. Hold on. He says, my yearly income... Well, he says he's excited to go to treatment, and he says his yearly income is around $13,000. So, yeah, it's certainly a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I will be feeling a bit like a junkie Cinderella. Yeah. So I I hope he takes advantage of it. So so I think that's awesome. And uh, everybody, let's put out nice wishes and good thoughts and stuff for Josh, because my dad hates the idea of praying. God forbid an addict prays and gets better, right? No. Praying, praying is fine if you believe in, in praying. It's just uh, your own way of doing things is what you should be doing. And if it gets you to feel better, that's wonderful. That's great, Dad. Maybe you should start a, a self-help uh, thing. Yeah, Ooh, well, read this, this one. Old, is it, which one? Here, read, read this one. Which one? 
uh, by a oh, I'm not reading that. I one. love it when you're yeah. just come on. I, I, no, you can keep the the white privilege guy off the air. All right, before we go, I'm gonna leave you guys with a voicemail from this woman called Neva or Neva. She actually sent it in. Uh, when Chris was alive, she sent it in way, way back. It's a story about, uh, you'll hear about it. It's about drugs and the Mexican mafia and all this stuff. But I'm going to leave you with the voicemail from Neva or Neva. And uh, please send in voicemails. Um, Reddit, I'm loving what's happening over there. Fucking Instagram's happening. Twitter, Facebook, follow Dopey wherever you can. Get involved. Send in Dopey Art. Send in dopey music. Be part of uh, the incredible uh, experience that is called dopey. And what do you have? To, what are you looking at me like that for? Nothing. Do you have anything to say? Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Also. Oh, and it is another piece of information. Joe Rogan, uh, the number one podcast in the world, recently endorsed Bernie Sanders. Uh, for president uh-huh. and me, who has uh, the not number one podcast, I'm going to also endorse Bernie Sanders. Wow. Why not? Seymour would love. What that. does it I, matter? My friend Seymour is a Bernie nut. I, I say it'll never happen. He's too old. He's too Jewish. He's too socialist minded. Yeah, but he's gruff and he'll tell the truth. I believe that if curb your enthusiasm has a good season this year, then Bernie might have a chance. But I think Trump's going to win personally. No, well, Trump is in deep, deep trouble. Uh, and uh, if you listen to this impeachment, the evidence is overwhelming. It doesn't matter. The Senate is Republican. This is not a political show. Of course not, but pay attention. Then it's also, what's coming up soon, or maybe not soon, is Dopey Day. Dopey Day looks like it's going to be the to honor Chris's death. Isn't every day for you Dopey Day? Every day <laughs> is Dopey Day for me, but the official Dopey Day, I think, is going to be in July, the day that Chris died, mm-hmm. where everybody is going to put... A Dopey logo on their eyes in solidarity of Dopey addiction recovery and, of course, Chris. Hmm. You think that sounds nice? Uh, Will you do it? Well, I don't even know how to do it. What if I do it for you? Will you do it? If you did it for me, that would be fun. We went to Jim's funeral and my dad wore a fucking the Dopey ski hat. He looked ridiculous. Yeah, you don't want to tell that story what you said at the funeral? What did I? Oh, that's the best story of all. It's not that I can't believe I forgot to tell that story. Well, maybe you could handle it now. So me and my, we're at the we're at the funeral, and um, Adobe Nation, just hold your breath with this one. Yeah. So we're at the funeral, and um, Jim's Jim's father had died, and his wife. Uh, I guess one of his wishes at the funeral was that his wife plays the the opera O Sole Mio. So they put on O Sole Mio, and it's very emotional. And I'm sitting between uh, my older daughter <laughs> and my father, and I look at my father. And he looks like there's, you know, his eyes are watering. He's feeling the thing. And I said, I said, Dad, I said, what do you want me to play for you when you die? Yeah, great. And for me, it was like, it was just the best moment. Um, of course, I do. Everybody dies. But, Dad, what do you I, want? I have, Handel's Messiah? Maybe Dave Brubeck take me. We'll play the House of the Rising Sun. Wow. And we'll do the volume thing that you like to do. <laughs> My dad used, I used to, to play the radio. Yeah, in the car, he would play the volume of the radio, and he'd say, I don't play an instrument, I play the radio. So, yeah, so my dad's funeral, look for Dave Brubeck, Take Five, the Hallelujah Chorus, let's, let's not House look of the Rising Sun. Let's not look for dad's Sun. funeral. Time out. That's enough of this, okay? 
Well, every, I mean, Dad, come on. You can't live forever. You've lived a very robust and beautiful life. I'd like it to continue if it's possible. Well, I mean, as long as you're in such good shape, such physical shape, because God knows mentally <laughs> you are struggling. Um, but thank you for true. coming on the show. Happy yeah. birthday. Yeah, and stay strong, Dopey Nation. Stay strong. And be, be, be healthy out there. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. This is Neva followed by uh, Good So Bad. Hey, Chris and Dave. Um, So I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I actually wrote to you um, back on Facebook a while back, and you said that you would read my story on the show, but I haven't heard it yet. Um, But I noticed that you guys liked uh, the voice messages, so I figured maybe I'd do it in a voice message and you guys would play it. Um, But yeah, I really like your podcast, and... um, you guys are hilarious. I'm always cracking up. Um, not only you guys, but the stories that people tell too. I just listened to the most recent podcast about the um, the guy Andrew who did a bunch of Molly, and it brought me back to my rave days and doing a bunch of Molly, and it was kind of crazy. And his story was hilarious; it had me laughing out loud while I'm driving. Um, but anyway. To get to my story, um, so I'm a IV heroin addict as well, um, but I started with, you know, doing pills. And uh, it, it actually started with like Vicodin, but you know the Vicodin always made me sick. So um, I had a boyfriend at the time who um, really liked Vicodin, and so I would kind of do it here and there, but it would always make me sick. So I wouldn't do it that much, but. Um, you know, one day one of our friends found some Oxycontin, the uh, 30 milligram pills. And so we started doing those and those didn't make me as sick as the Vicodin, I guess maybe because of the, they don't have Tylenol in them. Um, but so, yeah, we popped those like the first time and, you know, felt great. And it was pretty much an everyday thing almost immediately. Like I can almost think back to the the day that I started doing it and that's when my life started to spiral out of control um but and this was like eight years ago now um but so we started railing the oxys you know and so I had a job um at a sandwich shop out in California where I was living and I started that job when I was in high school and my boyfriend at the time didn't have a job so I was supporting both his habit and my habit well, he um, became friendly with, you know, a couple of our pill de- dealers that we had. And um, a lot of them went to a dirty doctor. Um, they would just, you know, support or give the, um, the doctor a, an MRI report. And the doctor would basically, that's all the evidence he needed um, to just, pop, you know, give them scripts of 90 milligram or 90, 30 milligram oxys. Um, two times a month and Xanax and Somas like I mean that's kind of a crazy combination I can't believe a doctor would actually prescribe um, somebody that but anyway so um, I wrote up a fake I get you know MRI report that just had my boyfriend's name on it but like somebody else's information like I mean this kid was like 19 years old you know like so he didn't have, like, as fucked up of a back as we said he did, but 
I mean, that's all the doctor needed. So we um, were able to work out a deal with one of our dealers where we he would front us the money to go down to LA to pay for this doctor and pay for the script and then when we got back up to you know we lived about an hour away from LA so when we got back up um to our town from there um we would fork over you know a good amount of pills for the money that um the dealer gave you know fronted us so we did this for about three months four months I don't know six months maybe but Um, it was a pretty good, you know, little hustle for me and my boyfriend because we got free pills out of it, you know, two junkies and that's like the dream just to have, you know, free drugs pretty much. And then any drugs we had left over, you know, we would sell for more drugs or whatever. Um, and so where was I going with this? Um, one day, I well, and I said we saw these pills go from like ten dollars to like twenty five dollars a pill, and so when it got to that point when it was just too much for, you know, us, we of course had to get the cheaper, more potent stuff. So I finally decided that I wanted to. Well, my boyfriend finally decided that he wanted to get clean, but I didn't. I still wanted to use. So. I, me being without a job now because I had lost my job at the sandwich shop and um, still, you know, not having any money but still wanting to use, I called up our dealer and said, you know, hey, I'm going to go down and pick up my boyfriend's prescription, you know, can we do the deal, can you give me the money, I'll come back with the pills, whatever, and he was kind of skeptical at first, but um, he ended up obliging and he actually gave me three pills for the way down there so that I wasn't sick um and I had you know no intentions to pick up any script or pay this guy back um I just you know wanted to use the money to get heroin so I did that and this our dealer was actually a guy you know from the Mexican mafia come to find out like I knew that but like he had kind of come on to me sometimes like flirting with me wanting to you know like go hang out or whatever and you know I'd kind of like go along with it but not ever really like want to actually hang out with him so I didn't think he would actually do anything you know to come after me for you know whatever $500 or whatever it was um but so I you know stole his money and I mean he called me for like that whole day and then the whole next day but after that I mean I didn't get any word from him or anything so I got away from by, or I got away from the Mexican mafia after stealing from them, and I can't believe how stupid I was for doing that, but really glad nothing actually came of it. Um, yeah, so that's my story. Um, I, I have a whole lot more dopey stories to share with you guys, because I've been doing this, you know, every day for a long time now, even though I'm only, what am I, 25 now? And I am still actively using, but your guys's podcast gives me hope and um keep going strong and i'll try to also thanks guys i want to take a walk around the world i wonder would it do me any good 
Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had